Chapter Six of the Empire of Russia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Empire of Russia from the remotest period to the present time by john stevens cabot abbott chapter six the grand princes of vladimir and the invasion of genghis khan from twelve twelve to twelve thirty eight ascension of georges famine battle of lipitsk defeat of georges his surrender constantine seizes the scepter exploits of mitislav imbecility of constantine death of constantine georges the third invasion of bulgaria progress of the monarchy right of succession commerce of the dnieper genghis khan his rise and conquests invasion of southern russia death of genghis khan succession of his son ogadai march of bati entrance into russia utter defeat of the russians moscow was the capital of a province then called suzdal northwest of this province there was another large yaroslavlete called vladimir with a capital of the same name north of these provinces there was an extensive territory named yaroslavle immediately after the death of sevalod a brother of the deceased monarch named georges ascended the throne with the assent of all nobles of suzdal and vladimir at the same time his brother constantine prince of yaroslavle claimed the crown eager partisans rallied around the two aspirants constantine made the first move by burning the town of kostroma and carrying off the inhabitants as captives georges replied by an equally sanguinary assault upon rostov such war has ever been when princes quarrel being unable to strike each other they wreak their vengeance upon innocent and helpless villages burning their houses slaying sons and brothers and either dragging widows and orphans into captivity or leaving them to perish of exposure and starvation in this conflict georges was victor and he signed to his brothers and cousins the administration of the provinces of southern russia still the ancient annals gives us nothing but a dreary record of war a very energetic prince arose by the name of mitislav who for years strove over subjugated provinces desolating them with fire and sword another horrible famine commenced its ravages at this time caused principally by the desolations of war throughout all northern and eastern russia the starving inhabitants ate the bark of trees leaves and the most disgusting reptiles the streets were covered with the bodies of the dead abandoned to the dogs 
crowds of skeleton men and women wandered through the fields in vain seeking food and ever dropping in the convulsions of death christian faith is stunned in the contemplation of such woes and yet it sees in them but the fruits of man's depravity the enigma of life can find no solution but in divine revelation and even that revelation does but show in what direction the solution lies mstislav of novgorod encouraged by his military success and regardless of the woes of the populace entered into an alliance with constantine promising with his aid to drive georges from the throne and to place the sceptre in the hands of constantine the king sent an army of ten thousand men against the insurgents all over russia there was a choosing of sides as prince after prince ranged his followers under the banners of one or the other of the combatants at last the two armies met upon the banks of the river Ksa. the russian analysts say that the sovereign was surrounded with the banners of thirty regiments accompanied by a military band of one hundred and forty trumpets and drums the insurgent princes either alarmed by the power of the sovereign or anxious to spare the effusion of blood proposed terms of accommodation it's too late to talk of peace said georges you are now as fishes on the land you have advanced too far and your destruction is inevitable the ambassadors retired in sadness georges then assembled his captains and gave orders to form the troops in line of battle addressing the troops he said let no soldier's life be spared aim particularly at the officers the helmets the clothes and the horses of the dead shall belong to you let us not be troubled with any prisoners the princes alone may be taken captive and reserved for public execution both parties now prepared with soundings of the trumpet and shoutings of the soldiers for combat it was in the early dawn of the morning that the celebrated battle of lipitsk commenced the arena of strife was a valley broken by rugged hills on the headwaters of the don about two hundred miles south of moscow it was a gloomy day of wind and clouds and rain and while the cruel tempest of man's passion swept the earth an elemental tempest wrecked the skies from the morning till the evening twilight the battle raged inspired by the antagonistic forces of haughty confidence and of despair darkness separated the combatants neither party having gained any decisive advantage the night was freezing cold a chill april wind sweeping the mists over the heights upon which the two hosts exhausted and bleeding slept upon their arms each fearing a midnight surprise with the earliest dawn of the next morning the battle was renewed both armies defiantly and simultaneously moving down from the hills to meet on the plains mstislav rode along the ranks of his troops exclaiming let no man turn his head retreat now is destruction let us forget our wives and children and fight for our lives his soldiers with shouts of enthusiasm 
threw aside all encumbering clothes and uttering those loud outcries with which semi-barbarians ever rush into battle impetuously fell upon the advancing foe mstislav was a prince of herculean stature and strength with a battle-axe in his hands he advanced before the troops and it is recorded that striking on the right hand and the left he cut a path through the ranks of the enemy as a strong man would trample down the grain a wake of the dead marked his path it was one of the most deplorable of russian battles for the dispute had arrayed the son against the father brother against brother friend against friend the victory however was now not for a moment doubtful the royal forces were entirely routed and were pursued with enormous slaughter by the victorious mstislav nearly ten thousand of the followers of georges were slain upon the field of battle georges having had three horses killed beneath him escaped and on the fourth day reached vladimir where he found only old men women children and ecclesiastics so entirely had he drained the country for the war the king himself was the first to announce to the citizens of vladimir the terrible defeat wan from fatigue and suffering he rode in at the gates his hair dishevelled and his clothing torn as he traversed the streets he called earnestly upon all who remained to rally upon the walls for their defence it was late in the afternoon when the king reached the metropolis during the night a throng of fugitives was continually entering the city wounded and bleeding in the early morning the king assembled the citizens in the public square and urged them to a desperate resistance but they disheartened by the awful reverse exclaimed prince courage can no longer save us our brethren have perished on the field of battle those who have escaped are wounded exhausted and unarmed we are unable to oppose the enemy georges entreated them to make at least a show of resistance that he might open negotiations with the foe soon mstislav appeared leading his troops in a solid phalanx with waving banners and trumpet blasts and surrounded the city in the night a terrible conflagration burst forth within the city and his soldiers entreated him to take advantage of the confusion for an immediate assault the magnanimous conqueror refused to avail himself of the calamity and restrained the ardor of his troops the next morning georges despairing of any further defence rode from the gates into the camp of mstislav you are victorious said he dispose of me and my fortunes as you will my brother constantine will be obedient to your wishes the unhappy prince was sent into exile embarking with his wife and children and a few faithful followers in barges at the headwaters of the volga he floated down the stream towards the caspian sea and disappeared forever from the observation of history constantine was now raised to the imperial throne through the energies of mstislav 
this latter prince returned to his domains in novgorod and under the protection of the throne he rivalled the monarch in splendor and power constantine established his capital at vladimir about one hundred and fifty miles west of moscow the warlike mstislav greedy of renown with the chivalry of a knight-errant sought to have a hand in every quarrel then raging far or near southern russia continued in a state of incessant embroilments and the princes of the provinces but nominally in subjection to the crown lived in a state of interminable war occasionally they would sheathe the sword of civil strife and combined in some important expedition against the hungarians or the poles but tranquillity reigned in the principality of vladimir and the adjacent provinces influenced by the pacific policy of the sovereign or overawed by his power cultivated the arts of peace constantine however was effeminate as well as peaceful the tremendous energy of Mstislav had shed some luster upon him, and thus, for a time, it was supposed that he possessed a share, no one knew how great, of that extraordinary vigor which had placed him on the throne. But now Mstislav was far away on bloody fields in Hungary, and the princes in the vicinity of Vladimir soon found that Constantine had no spirit to resent any of their encroachments enormous crimes were perpetrated with impunity princes were assassinated and murderers seized their castles and their sceptres while the imbecile constantine instead of avenging such outrages contented himself with shedding tears building churches distributing alms and kissing the relics of the saints which had been sent to him from constantinople thus he lived for several years a superstitious perhaps a pious man but so utterly devoid of energy of enlightened views respecting his duty as a ruler that the helpless were unprotected and the wicked rioted unpunished in crime he died in the year twelve nineteen at the early age of thirty-three finding death approaching he called his two sons to his bedside and exhorted them to live in brotherly affection to be the benefactors of widows and orphans and especially to be supporters of religion the wife of constantine imbibing his spirit immediately upon his death renounced the world and retiring to the cloisters of the convent immured herself in its glooms until she also rejoined her husband in the spirit land georges the second son of sevalod now ascended the throne he signalized the commencement of his reign by a military excursion to oriental bulgaria descending the volga in barges to the mouth of the kama he invaded with a well-disciplined army the realm he wished to subjugate the russians approached the city of ochel it was strongly fortified with palisades and a double wall of wood the assailants approached led by a strong party with hatchets and torches 
they were closely followed by archers and lancers to drive the defenders from the ramparts the palisades were promptly cut down and set on fire the flames spread to the wooden walls and over the burning ruins the assailants rushed into the city a high wind arose and the whole city whose buildings were constructed of wood only soon blazed like a volcano the wretched citizens had but to choose between the swords of the russians and the fire many in their despair plunged their poignards into the bosoms of their wives and children and then buried the dripping blade in their own hearts multitudes of the russians even encircled by the flames in the narrow streets miserably perished in a few hours the city and nearly all of its male inhabitants were destroyed extensive regions of the country were then ravaged and bulgaria as a conquered province was considered as annexed to the russian empire georgia's enriched with plunder and having extorted oaths of allegiance from most of the bulgarian princes reascended the volga to vladimir as he was on his return he laid the foundations of a new city nizhny novgorod at the confluence of two important streams about two hundred miles west of moscow the city remains to the present day it will be perceived through what slow and vacillating steps the russian monarchy was established in the earliest dawn of the kingdom yaroslav divided russia into five principalities to his eldest son he gave the title of grand prince constituting him by his will chief or monarch of the whole kingdom his younger brothers were placed over the principalities holding them as vassals of the grand prince at cave and transmitting the right of succession to their children yasoslav and some of his descendants men of great energy succeeded in holding under more or less of restraint the turbulent princes who were simply entitled princes to distinguish them from the grand prince or monarch these princes had under them innumerable vassal lords who differing in wealth and extent of dominions governed with despotic sway the serfs or peasants subject to their power no government could be more simple than this and it was the necessary resultant of those stormy times but in process of time feeble grand princes reigned at cave the vassal princes strengthening themselves in alliance with one another or seeking aid from foreign semi-civilized nations such as the poles the danes the hungarians often imposed laws upon their nominal sovereign and not unfrequently drove him from the throne and placed upon it a monarch of their own choice Sviatopolk the second was driven to the humiliation of appearing to defend himself from accusation before the tribunal of his vassal princes monomach and mstislav the first with imperial energy brought all the vassal princes in subjection to their sceptre and reigned as monarchs but their successors 
not possessing like qualities were unable to maintain the regal dignity and gradually cave sank into a provincial town and the sceptre was transferred to the principality of Suzdal. andre of Suzdal abolished the system of appanages as it was called in which the principalities were entire subjection to the princes who reigned over them these princes only rendering vassal service to the sovereign he in their stead appointed governors over the distant provinces who were his agents to execute his commands this measure gave new energy and consolidation to the monarchy and added incalculable strength to the regal arm but the grand princes who immediately succeeded andre had not efficiency to maintain this system and the princes again regained their position of comparative independence indeed they were undisputed sovereigns of their principalities bound only to recognize the superior rank of the grand prince and to aid him when called upon as allies in process of time the princes of the five great principalities pereslavle chernigov kiev novgorod and smolensk were subdivided through the energies of warlike nobles into minor appanages or independent provinces independent in everything save feudal service a service often feebly recognized and dimly defined the sovereigns of the great provinces assumed the title of grand princes the smaller sovereigns were simply called princes under these princes were the petty lords or nobles the spirit of all evil could not have devised a system better calculated to keep a nation incessantly embroiled in war the princes of novgorod claimed the right of choosing their grand prince in all the other provinces the sceptre was nominally hereditary in point of fact it was only hereditary when the one who ascended the throne had sufficient vigor of arm to beat back his assailing foes for two hundred years during nearly all of the eleventh and twelfth centuries it is with difficulty we can discern any traces of the monarchy the history of russia during this period is but a history of interminable battles between the grand princes and petty yet most cruel and bloody conflicts between the minor princes the doctrine of hereditary descent of the governing power was the cause of nearly all these conflicts a semi-idiot or a brutal ruffian was thus often found the ruler of millions of energetic men war and bloodshed were of course the inevitable result this absurdity was perhaps a necessary consequence of the ignorance and the brutality of the times but happy is that nation which is sufficiently enlightened to choose its own magistrates and to appreciate the sanctity of the ballot-box the history of the united states thus far with its elective administrations is a marvel of tranquillity prosperity and joy 
as it is recorded amidst the bloody pages of this world's annals according to the ancient custom of russia the right of succession transferred the crown not to the oldest son but to the brother or the most aged member belonging to the family connections of the deceased prince the energetic monomach violated this law by transferring the crown to his son when by custom it should have passed to the prince of chernigov hence for ages there was implacable hatred between these two houses and russia was crimsoned with blood of a hundred battlefields nearly all the commerce of russia at this time was carried on between Kiev and constantinople by barges traversing the dnieper and the black sea these barges went strongly armed as a protection against the barbarians who crowded the banks of the river the stream being thus the great thoroughfare of commerce received the popular name of the road to greece the russians exported rich furs in exchange for the cloths and spices of the east as the russian power extended towards the rising sun the volga and the caspian sea became the highways of a prosperous though an interrupted commerce it makes the soul melancholy to reflect upon these long long ages of rapine destruction and woe but for this had man been true to himself the whole of russia might now have been almost a garden of eden with every marsh drained every stream bridged every field waving with luxuriance every deformity changed into an object of beauty with roads and canals intersecting every mile of its territory with gorgeous cities embellishing the river banks and the mountain sides and cottages smiling upon every plain man has no foe to his happiness so virulent and deadly as his brother man the heaviest curse is human depravity we now approach in the early part of the thirteenth century one of the most extraordinary events which has occurred in in the history of man the sweep of tartar hordes over all northern asia and europe under their indomitable leader genghis khan in the extreme north of the chinese empire just south of Irkutsk, in the midst of the desert wilds unknown to greek or roman there were wandering tribes called moguls they were a savage vagabond race without any fixed habitations living by the chase and by herding cattle the chief of one of these tribes greedy of renown and power conquered several of the adjacent tribes and brought them into very willing subjection to his sway war was a pastime for these fierce spirits and their bold chief led them to victory and abundant booty this barbarian conqueror Beador by name died in the prime of life surrendering his wealth and power to his son timochin then but thirteen years of age this boy thus found himself lord of forty thousand families still he was but a subordinate prince or khan owing allegiance to the tartar sovereign of northern china brought up by his mother in the savage simplicity of a wandering shepherd's hut 
he developed a character which made him the scourge of the world and one of its most appalling wonders the most illustrious monarchies were overturned by the force of his arms and millions of men were brought into subjection to his power at the death of his father Beador, many of the subjugated clans endeavored to break the yoke of the boy prince timochin with the vigor and military sagacity of a veteran warrior assembled an army of thirty thousand men defeated the rebels and plunged their leaders seventy in number each into a cauldron of boiling water elated by such brilliant success the young prince renounced allegiance to the tartar sovereign and assumed independence terrifying his enemies by severity rewarding his friends with rich gifts and overawing the populace by claims of supernatural powers this extraordinary young man commenced a career of conquest which the world has never seen surpassed assembling his ferocious hordes now enthusiastically devoted to his service upon the banks of a rapid river he took a solemn oath to share with them all the bitter and the sweet which he should encounter in the course of his life the neighboring prince of kiriat ventured to draw the sword against him he forfeited his head for his audacity and his skull trimmed with silver was converted into a drinking cup at the close of this expedition his vast army were disposed in nine different camps upon the headwaters of the river amor each division had tents of a particular color on a festival day as all were gazing with admiration upon their youthful leader a hermit by previous secret appointment appeared as the prophet from heaven approaching the prince the pretended ambassador from the celestial court declared in a loud voice god has given the whole earth to timochen as the sovereign of the world he is entitled to the name of genghis khan the great prince no one was disposed to question the divine authority of this envoy from the skies shouts of applause rent the air and chiefs and warriors with unanimous voice expressed their eagerness to follow their leader wherever he might guide them admiration of his prowess and terror of his arms spread far and wide and ambassadors thronged his tent from adjacent nations wishing to range themselves beneath his banners even the monarch of tibet overawed sent messengers to offer his service as a vassal prince to genghis khan the conqueror now made an eruption into china proper and with his wolfish legions clambering the world-renowned wall routed all the armies raised to oppose him and speedily was master of ninety cities finding himself encumbered with a crowd of prisoners he selected a large number of the aged and choked them to death the sovereign thoroughly humiliated purchased peace by a gift of five hundred young men five hundred beautiful girls three thousand horses and an immense quantity of silk and gold genghis khan retired to the north with his treasures 
but soon again returned and laid siege to peking the capital of the empire with the energies of despair though all unavailingly the inhabitants attempted their defence it was the year of twelve fifteen when peking fell before the arms of the mogul conqueror the whole city was immediately committed to flames and the wasting conflagration raged for a whole month when nothing was left of the once beautiful and populous city but a heap of ashes leaving troops in garrison throughout the subjugated country the conqueror commenced his march towards the west laden with the spoils of plundered cities like the rush of a torrent his armies swept along until they entered the vast wilds of turcomania here the great and the mighty saladin had reigned extending his sway from the caspian sea to the ganges dictating laws even to the caliph at baghdad who was the pope of the mohammedans mohammed the second now held the throne a prince so haughty and warlike that he arrogated the name of the second alexander the great with two such spirits heading their armies a horrible war ensued the capital of this region bokhara had attained a very considerable degree of civilization and was renowned for its university where the mohammedan youth of noble families were educated the city after an unavailing attempt at defence was compelled to capitulate the elders of the metropolis brought the keys and laid them at the feet of the conqueror genghis khan rode contemptuously on horseback into the sacred mosque and seizing the alcoran from the altar threw it upon the floor and trampled it beneath the hoofs of his steed the whole city was inhumanely reduced to ashes from bokhara he advanced to samarkand this city was strongly fortified and contained a hundred thousand soldiers within its walls besides an immense number of elephants trained to fight the city was soon taken thirty thousand were slain and thirty thousand carried into perpetual slavery all the adjacent cities soon shared a similar fate for three years the armies of genghis khan ravaged the whole country between the aral lake and the indus with such fearful devastation that for six hundred years the region did not recover from the calamity mohammed the second pursued by his indefatigable foe fled to one of the islands of the caspian sea where he perished in paroxysms of rage and despair genghis khan having thoroughly subdued this whole region now sent a division of his army under two of his most distinguished generals across the caspian sea to subjugate the regions on the western shore here as before victory accompanied their standards and with merciless severity they swept the whole country to the sea of azov the tidings of their advance so bloody so resistless spread into russia exciting universal terror 
the conquerors elated with success rushed on over the plains of russia and were already pouring down into the valley of the dnieper mstislav prince of galich already so renowned for his warlike exploits was eager to measure arms with those soldiers the terror of whose ravages now filled the world he hurriedly assembled all the neighboring princes at cave and urged immediate and vigorous cooperation to repel the common foe the russian army was promptly rendezvoused on the banks of the dnieper preparatory to its march another large army was collected by the russian princes who inhabited the valley of the Knister in a thousand barges they descended the river to the black sea then entering the dnieper they ascended the stream to unite with the main army waiting impatiently their arrival on the twenty first of may the whole force was put in motion and after a march of nine days met the tartar army on the banks of the river Kaletz the waving banners and the steeds of the tartar host covering the plains as far as the eye could extend in numbers apparently countless presented an appalling spectacle many of the russian leaders were quite in despair others young ardent inexperienced were eager for the fight the battle immediately commenced and the combatants fought with all the ferocity which human energies could engender but the Russians were, in the end, routed entirely. The Tartars drove the bleeding fugitives in wild confusion before them back to the Dnieper. Never before had Russia encountered so frightful a disaster. The whole army was destroyed. Not one-tenth of their number escaped that field of massacre. Seven princes and seventy of the most illustrious nobles were among the slain the tartars followed up their victory with their accustomed inhumanity and as if it were their intention to depopulate the country swept it in all directions putting the inhabitants indiscriminately to the sword they acted upon the maxim which they ever proclaimed the conquered can never be the friends of the conquerors and the death of one is essential to the safety of the other the whole of southern russia trembled with terror and men women and children in utter helplessness with groans and cries fled to the churches imploring the protection of god the divine power which alone could aid them interposed in their behalf for some unknown reason genghis khan recalled his troops to the shores of the caspian where this blood-stained conqueror in the midst of his invincible armies dictated laws to the vast regions he had subjected to his will this frightful storm having left utter desolation behind it passed away as rapidly as it had approached scathed as by the lightnings of heaven the whole of southern russia east of the dnieper was left smoking like a furnace the nominal king georges the second far distant in the northern realm of suzdal and vladimir 
listened appalled to the reports of the tempest raging over the southern portion of the kingdom and when the dark cloud disappeared and its thunders ceased he congratulated himself in having escaped its fury after the terrible battle of kalka six years passed before the locust legions of the tartars again made their appearance and russia hoped that the scourge had disappeared forever in the year twelve twenty seven genghis khan died it has been estimated that the ambitions of this one man cost the lives of between five and six millions of the human family he nominated as his successor his oldest son octai and enjoined it upon him never to make peace but with vanquished nations ambitious of being the conqueror of the world octai ravaged with his armies the whole of northern china in the heart of tartary he reared his palace embellished with the highest attainments of chinese art raising an army of three hundred thousand men the tartar sovereign placed his nephew batu in command and ordered him to bring into subjection all the nations on the northern shores of the caspian sea and then to continue his conquests throughout all the expanse of northern russia a bloody strife of three years planted his banners upon every cliff and through all the defiles of the ural mountains and then the victor plunging down the western declivities of this great natural barrier between europe and asia established his troops for winter quarters in the valley of the volga to strike the rain with terror he burned the capital city of bulgaria and put all the inhabitants to the sword early in the spring of the year twelve thirty eight with an army says the ancient annalist as innumerable as locusts he crossed the volga and threading many almost impenetrable forests after a march in a northwest direction of about four hundred miles entered the province of rezdan just south of zuzdal he then sent an embassage to the king and his confederate princes saying if you wish for peace with the tartars you must pay us an annual tribute of one-tenth of your possessions the heroic reply was returned when you have slain us all you can then take all that we have Bati, at the head of his terrible army continued his march through the populous province of rezdan burning every dwelling and endeavoring with indiscriminate massacre to exterminate the inhabitants city after city fell before them until they approached the capital this they besieged first surrounding it with palisades that it might not be possible for any of the inhabitants to escape the innumerable host pressed the siege day and night not allowing the defenders one moment for repose on the sixteenth day after many had been slain and all the citizens were in utter exhaustion from toil and sleeplessness they commenced the final assault with ladders and battering rams 
the walls of wood were soon set on fire and through flame and smoke the demoniac assailants rushed into the city indiscriminate massacre ensued of men women and children accompanied with the most revolting cruelty the carnage continued for many hours and when it ceased the city was reduced to ashes and not one of its inhabitants was left alive the conquerors then rushed on to moscow here the tempest of battle raged for a few days and then moscow followed in the footsteps of rezdan End of chapter 6